So it's the Gospel of John, chapter 18, beginning at verse 28. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Do you think I am a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asks. With this he went on again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back. No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God for its contents. Well, thank you, Malcolm. Thank you for the reading. Um, it is um, increasingly getting sadder and sadder. And if you look at the, the Ten Commandments, you look at the ninth commandment and it actually tells the, the Pharisees that are reading this that you shouldn't be a false witness. And uh, this is where we're coming to today. Um, this whole thing uh, is quite pathetic. It is a sham. Uh, and the more things change, of course, in the world, the more things stay the same. Or as we read in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. Our world, your world indeed today, is so much like the world in which Jesus also was pursued to his death and indeed his utterly wrongful death. And even if that death was wrongful, it was still within the full purpose of God the Father. Today, we're going to focus on three things. We're going to look at the shambolic trial that is obviously happening. 
We're going to look at the grievous public opinion that are coming out during that trial. And of course, we're going to end up on the great wisdom of Jesus Christ in responding to that. And we conclude the service today with a timely warning. And after all, if you have a think about it, the Bible is actually filled with warnings for us. Let us pray that the Bible will speak to us, give us understanding, and indeed a will to be better tomorrow than we were today. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we come before you to thank you for your word. We thank you for all that we read, for your Holy Spirit to guide us and reveal all these truths to us, Lord, that we may respond to them in a way that is indeed honoring your name and our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. In verse 28, we read, Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. But now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter that palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. Well, people who should have been focused on God's will, the temple leaders, are now taking one of their own and placing him before the civil courts. Solomon had warned them in Proverbs 25 when he wrote that, not to drag each other before a court with haste and out of greed. And in 1 Corinthians 6.1, Paul also warned them, if any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints which is exactly what Pilate is telling him here in verse 31. He says, Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own laws. This is a response to the fact that the Pharisees were really unable to provide any legit charges against Jesus. And the real reason for this is to be revealed in their response to Pilate. In verse 32, but we have no right to execute anyone. Well, this was never going to be a trial to find the truth, is it? It was a kangaroo court with a result set before the trial started. They started with the, the, the judgment and then wanted to have a trial that will prove the judgment right. Thankfully, and we know that God is always in control. This happened, of course, so that the words of Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death that he was going to die was going to be fulfilled. And for the lack of charges and evidence, in verse 33, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priest who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Think about that. Pilate is asking Jesus to incriminate himself. That is certainly, for starters, not good ethics, but we also know Pilate is not man of ethics. And Pilate isn't getting a worldly answer either. In verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate answered. 
Jesus said, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Quite a conversation, wouldn't you say? But still nothing for Pilate to actually work with. In fact, he gives a classic postmodern answer to what Jesus just told him. In verse 38, he said, what is truth? Well, with this, he went out again to the Jews and told them, I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate here declares Jesus innocent for the lack of both charges and evidence. And we can read more in detail of this in Luke 23, verse 13. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, you brought me this man, one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. He's just said, I have no basis for your charge against him. And yet, then he finishes with, I will punish him. What, punish him for what? The whole scenario is a total shambles. It isn't just Pilate that lacks wisdom here. We're also seeing the temple leaders displaying an incredible level of duplicity. They are the people who are charged with upholding the law of God, the Ten Commandments and all the rest of it, upholding justice among their people. And yet they drag Jesus, one of their own, before a civic court. And not only that, but we read that it was early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness that Jew did not enter the palace, they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. They are very, very careful in upholding the ceremonial laws to appear holy to the people, and yet at the same time instigating false charges, bearing false witness against an innocent Jew, culminating his death on a cross. And then for Pilate to declare innocent of all charges but willing to punish him, as I said, punish him for what? If he is innocent. And then, just as you think it can't get any worse, Pilate then continues in verse 39. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. And, of course, Barabbas had taken part in the rebellion. Let me just go back a little in this gospel, remind us all of what happened merely five days ago. The Jews in Jerusalem had welcomed Jesus as their king and savior, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. These are now the same people who are calling for Jesus to be killed and a murderous rebel to be set free. Here's a government responding to a strong and loud public opinion, a public opinion that now influences not just a governmental decision, but a judicial one as well. 
The public opinion of the day has more power than the law of the day, and this is in the year 32 AD. This was never, ever going to be a judicial trial. It was always going to be a public display of disregard for the Lord God in the person of Jesus Christ. A shambolic trial with zero justice, which naturally brings us to the abomination of public opinion. A lot of the times, public opinion isn't always for the common good. Rather, it is to support the power of some, very few indeed, within the community. In this case, it was to support the power and the influence of the temple leaders and of the high priest of the day, none other. Public opinion in those days were achieved by planting people into the large crowds and then starting a chant, such as we find in Luke 23. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. People get caught up in the emotions and they join in even when they don't actually understand what the problem or the result indeed will be. The tactics of public opinion has not changed since those days. They still use the same playbook in today's world for protests. People jump on the bandwagon and support things like Black Lives Matter, having absolutely no true understanding that the real purpose of this movement is to bring about Marxism, and socialism and nothing to do with the protection of the minority groups they speak about in this society. We have the same when we have a public support for all things like LGBTQ plus issues. Again, the real purpose is to break down the structure of society as we know it and destroy families within and fathers and mothers to bring up children. It's called anarchy. It is bringing about chaos. In short, all of this is to fight and destroy people of faith. It is to reject the order of God, the creator, and his will for his creation. All of what happened in Jerusalem on this day and what we experience in our world today is about the rejection of God's will, the rejection of God's authority in this world. It is an outright rejection of God, the creator as a whole. To finally swing this in their favor, the Pharisees calls Pilate out. In John 19, 10, we are told, the Jewish leader kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. See, Pilate sees his job and safety is on the line here now. And he buckles to this public opinion, the yelling at him, even if that is totally based on false premises. We today, as followers of Jesus Christ, are bombarded each day with opinions in the public square that are fully in contrast to the will of God. And yet many of our brothers and sisters are quite willing to join in and support such horrible causes. Not because they understand those causes, but they just don't want to be seen as uncaring and judgmental to the world, and they haven't submitted to God's will. So instead, they shun Jesus. 
and in no less terms than what Peter did three times in the yard of the high priest. The opinions of the temple leaders had been formed by hundreds of years of not reading scriptures for scripture's sake, years of not seeking God's wisdom but their own, but finding ways of promoting their own power. That's where they're up to. But let us now not focus on the wisdom. Let us focus on the wisdom of Jesus, does it? It is by far better subject matter for you and I to look at. When Jesus is questioned by Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus doesn't deny his claim to be a king. So his answer is this. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answers, you are right in saying I'm a king. For in fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. See, at no point here does Jesus, by laying claim to be a king, indeed, he doesn't oppose the authority and the rule of Caesar. Neither does he level any charges of falsehood against the temple leaders. Simply, he, Jesus claims to be the king of truth. The difference between Caesar and Jesus is that Caesar's empire is over the bodies of man, whereas Jesus' empire is over the souls of man. Obviously, Pilate doesn't quite get the point. He just slings out the answer as we had it. What is truth? And when you think of it, then the Roman rulers, to the Roman rulers, truth is what they say it is. So under this comprehension, Pilate can't find any reason to judge Jesus. We all know from having read all four Gospels over a number of years that this trial of Jesus is an absolute sham. We have all spotted the problems and the evil outcome in the end. Have we, however, like in a passage speaking of the denials of Peter, have we tried to recognize our place in all this? Sadly, this whole thing isn't just about attacking Jesus unjustly. It is about the total rejection of Jesus, the rejection of God, and the rejection of the Holy Spirit and all the visible work done amongst the people in the past three years. It is about walking away from Jesus when the situation gets a little testy. When our faith is questioned, when our trust in God is wavering, when we see the people from churches come out in support of laws that are in direct opposition to God, the question we need to answer is, do we stay silent or do we join them? Or do we stand up and be counted for Jesus? See, in Exodus, in chapter 20, God says, I am the Lord your God. And then proceeds to give them the Ten Commandments, setting out all the requirements he expects from his people. And when Jesus teaches us in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, this is what God requires. If you and I will not do that, then you're right, your sensibilities will indeed decline. As did the temple leaders, and the time will come when Jesus will depart from your presence 
never to return. See, on the other hand, if you will repent of our sins, of your sins, and turn to him, then you will find that he has already received you and is at work to lead you on the path of righteousness. Let us not be like the Pharisees or a weak-minded Jew of the day and turn our backs on our Lord and our Savior. Let us follow him closely, real close, and sit at his feet daily and learn and to be strengthened by his word. The question we need to answer every day of our lives is, who is Jesus to you? It's a serious question that needs a serious answer. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we do come before you to thank you for Jesus, thanking you for his obedience, for his absolute commitment to your will, to your authority. We pray, Lord, that by the guiding of the Holy Spirit you have so lovingly placed in our hearts, that we too will be like Jesus. We will be obedient. We will be committed to your word, committed to your will for us, no matter what it is. We pray, Lord, that this day will be the day that changes some of the things in our lives that need changing. Be with us, guide us, strengthen us, we ask. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.